Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. We all have this sense of duty to show up in the world and be this and be that and make everybody else happy. And then suddenly we show up to work. It's like, yep, do the deed, do the deed, do the deed, and make the money, make the money, make the money. And we go home and we're like, I did not enjoy my day whatsoever. And whether you're coming out of the closet because you no longer can be who people think you are and your sexuality, or you're coming out of the closet work to say, we've got to have some fun. It's still a coming out journey. And I'm really blessed to have this conversation today with a friend of mine who we met because we went to something really fun <laughs> and we put it all out on the line. And uh, I'm kind of jealous because he just came back from what I didn't get to attend it this year, but um, he's all about fun, like bringing fun back into life and work and your lo- everything about what you do in your world. His name is Mike Rucker. I'm going to warn you, he's a psychologist. So be careful here. We might go, no, we're not going to dissect anything, but um, I'm really excited to talk to him about his new book, The Fun Habit and all the stuff that he's doing in the world to ensure that we, well, we have fun in our lives. So um, welcome, buddy. Glad to have hey, you. Thanks for having me, Rick. Yeah. So yeah, let's start with, you know, we kind of cross paths at this lovely little little conference that some people here are like, what is that? Is like a BDSM thing or something? It's like, <laughs> no. World domination of it. There's a couple of swim lines of that. I think. Well, uh, there is. Yes, <laughs> there is. The key uh, always uh, fills up, right? Like, yeah, second. exactly. It's always like, okay, let's go to let's let's go to the meetup that's like you know strippers and nachos. You're like, okay, yeah. sure, right on, right? But um, but that's part of the fun, right? I think WDS is without a doubt, in my, at least for me, the funnest conference I've ever attended. Pretty much. I mean, I love podcast movement. That's a fun one too. But as far as there's always surprises. There's always something that's unexpected. There's always a sense of, and I guess because it's community adventure and service is the tenets of the conference. I mean, there's crazy stuff that happens. So um, yeah, actually, what was one, what was the big crazy thing this year? The, the big world record thing. It was, yeah. I was a part of that. Yeah. yeah. 380 of us um, dressed up like T-Rexes and uh, invaded pioneer square and we got i am i can now say that i'm a world record holder which is pretty fun so it's fun yeah the previous record was 252 and so we smashed it nice someone i'm sure will come along and smash it again but it should be for a while and yeah uh, but it's something to be able to say i mean it's always interesting when you know because i actually have that as part of my bio for speaking and actually for podcasts like uh rick's this this he's a world record holder and of course you're like, he is? What did he do? <laughs> what? He's not the only bald guy in the world, you know? <laughs> uh, but, we, you know, I was part of the world um, world's largest breakfast in bed and the world's longest yoga chain at the time that we did that. And I am. I'm a world record holder. So there you go, folks. So yeah, um, yeah. Now we both hold that distinction. Exactly. <laughs> and nobody can touch us. Now everybody wants to hire us because we're world record holders. <laughs> and all that good stuff. But uh, why fun, man? Why has this become something that's like a pinnacle of 
what you represent and why you know became the new book that's coming out in january can't wait man but um, yeah and you didn't plan this but it's an interesting segue so um the day of the t-rex uh world record breaking uh was the sixth year anniversary of my brother passing so that was kind of it was a neat way to um sort of celebrate his life and mm. um the genesis of the book was really his passing so uh you know we have this temporal landmark to um say that six years ago was really the impetus of the project i'm a charter member of the international positive psychology association so i've been studying positive psychology for quite some time and really was a big zealot of that movement um you know believed in all the principles used all the tools and for the most part really had this strong concern and over optimization of trying to be happy all the time mm -hmm. when my brother passed um uh it, you know I was obviously, you know, in a state of mourning. And then a couple of months after that, uh, after being an endurance athlete for quite some time, found out that I had osteoarthritis um, oh. and needed a hip replacement. And so those weren't, you know, obviously um, uh, related, but it was a one-two punch where all of a sudden I was like trying to grab happiness, but because of these things in my life, you know, not being able to exercise and, and the loss of my brother, um, the more I chased happiness by the tail, the, the more unhappy I was becoming. And I didn't really understand why, you know, these tools have uh -huh. been so useful before. Um, and now every time I tried to be grateful for something, I just kind of despised life even more. And so, um, I, you know, being a researcher, I was at the end of my PhD at the time, uh, I kind of dug into the research of why that was. And serendipitously, there was this emerging research, um, especially in the Western world that, folks that are overly concerned about being happy. So not necessarily valuing happiness or wanting others to be happy, but folks that kind of chase happiness as it were, um, paradoxically are some of the most unhappy people in the world. And so, although it had worked for me episodically, um, uh, there was a reason why I was becoming unhappy. And so uh, that the culmination of all of that research is, is um, what's made the fun habit, this book that's coming out in January. And so, what I found in short is that if you take an action oriented approach, right, kind of uh, concern yourself less about how you're feeling and instead really take a deliberate approach of how you're spending your time, emotions will come and go. And they call it the hedonic flexibility principle. I know you already warned your audience that I might right. geek out a little bit. Um, but when you have this wide range of emotions, we know that people tend to be that correlates with better mental health. Right. And so you can have fun and invite joy and delight and sort of stack the deck in your favor, have this bias towards wanting to, you know, enjoy your life and, and the, the folks around you to enjoy their time and not necessarily have to be concerned with like, how happy am I and over optimizing for happiness. It's so interesting to hear how this all came about for you. And then that piece of people who really focus on happiness are usually the people who are most unhappy. Um, because a few years ago, and I got to think about this, it was, it had to be at least six, maybe seven years ago, maybe even more. I mean, I'm, I'm old now. It's like, I'm going to be 59. Yeah, I don't remember this stuff as much, but I, well, Mark, my, my coaching school, so international, um, now here we go. IPEC is what it is. So international Pro professional coaching, something anyway, um, we got asked to be the coaching school for the first happiness conference 
in Miami. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's do this, you know? And um, so there was like this big email that came out to all of us coaches who had been through the program. So Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching. They're fine. See, the brain finally caught back up. There you go. And um, so we had to, we had to like write a little like thesis of why we wanted to be one of the coaches who got selected to go be part of the conference. And then everybody who was at the conference was going to get a opportunity to do our assessment and, and be debriefed off our assessment. So they wanted good representation. Well, I was one of the coaches who got picked, loved it. Sean Acor was there and, you know, a few other people were there and I'm like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Everybody's there. Like, let's, let's be happy. Right. Four weeks later, it's like the happiness conference is not happening again because the happiness conference people can't seem to get on the same page about it. So they're disbanding it. Now it's back together. But I thought it, what you said, I was laughing inside, like, well, let me give a real example of how this works. Right. <laughs> but it was so valuable because I know they had to kind of go through it because it was their first year. Right. And then suddenly, Oh, we have all these ideas and everything. And then suddenly it's like, there was just, I think there probably was some factions within it before it actually happened that they're like, okay, this isn't working the way we really want, but we're committed to it. We got to make it happen. I know for me in my own pursuit of happiness around being a gay man for too many years, I thought the happiness was coming from a space of, well, as long as I'm having sex with guys and there's my happiness in this. Right. And as you know, you, you've seen my talk and everything. That wasn't where the happiness came from. The happiness came from finally saying, this is who I am and embracing and loving and accepting myself as this is who I am. And I've seen this over and over again in people in the workplace too. Happiness is going to come from the next raise or happiness is going to come from the next title or happiness is going to be come from being recruited out of this company into that company. But at the end of the day, you're still showing up every day. You're doing the work. And this is why I think what you're doing, Mike, with the fun habit and like really bringing it back into play <clears throat> is the parallels of whether you're coming out of the closet because of your sexuality or you're coming out because you want to be more happy in your work. The parallels are 100 percent very similar. Fun yeah. is fun. Yeah. And I think, you know, the common thread there is probably agency and autonomy, right? So yep. when you dig in, I mean, just to clarify, so I'm not a clinical psychologist, I'm an organizational psychologist. And when we look at workplace well-being, um, it's whenever autonomy is compromised in any area of our life. So whether that's mm -hmm. work or, um, you know, an example that you brought forth where, um, you know, you're not necessarily able to flex your autonomy. You're having to do things, you know, to sort of pacify something that's your sense of self. But, um, you know, in any of those contexts where you feel that's impeded, that's when our mental health starts to falter. Right. And so it's really about how do you get in front of that one so that you can live within um, your sense of identity. You don't feel like you're living out somebody else's life. Um, and then two in line with what you find pleasurable. Right. And so, um, you know, we call it positive valence again, you know, that's the geek academic term, but how do we bias it so that we're not necessarily in our head and having to um, think introspectively, like, you know, what is the problem? Why am I not living, you know, within my values or my identity? And instead of just doing that, right? Like figuring out where is that psychological safe space where I can engage in activities that um, light me up and that I don't have to think about it, um, you know, in retrospect, because yeah. that's really where the pain is, right? When, right? when we have great things, things that fill us up, 
we call that reminiscing, right? We can savor in those memories and those things are what build psychological um, resilience. When we have to constantly think of our choices, right? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing it in the shadows? You know, why am I doing somebody else's bidding? Why, you know, we talked about this in the pre-interview, why is everything from a place of duty rather than a place of feeling selfless, right? Um, you know, for, the, for the parents that are listening, um, sometimes it's just a simple reframe, but if it's coming from a place of duty, a place of fatigue, a place of not in alignment with your identity or values, then all of that, you know, we call it ego depletion. It starts to eat away at you and it will exhaust you mentally and then eventually physically as well. And when that depletion happens, Okay, so I'm going to kind of step back into my, I'm going to step into my own experience in two different places. The depletion happened in, I can't live another day in my personal world, which it's all together, but I'm going to say my personal life, being depleted from the energy of not showing up as myself. I was so tired of lying, of hiding, and, and, and even cheating. I talk about that a lot, um, where that depletion literally was going to kill me. My energy was zapped. Roll forward six years down the road to when I got laid off from my job. Well, second time I got laid off because I'm a bad employee. I'm just putting it out. I'm a bad hire folks. Don't hire me. Um, When I got laid off from that, I realized that the depletion was I had finally hit the wall where not being in the career I wanted to be in was zapping my energy too. There was nothing that was going to rejuvenate me about continuing. Now I love what I do. I, I mean, I love what, doing what I'm doing, but I love when I get to help people with marketing, branding, you know, this, I, you know, I, you and I reconnected or <laughs> through the other stuff that I do, like helping yeah, yeah. speakers. But that's one of the things that lights me up the most is when I get to like bring that to that work, not because I have to, I mean, it is part of what I do, but Man, when I was, you know, software vice president, marketing guy, I'm like, I had to do this. I didn't, it was fun. Yeah, I got to fly all over the world and all that great stuff, but it wasn't aligned with who I was. And one of the greatest outcomes from my coming out was literally being able to come out of anything that doesn't bring me satisfaction. And some people are like, that's kind of a big, bold statement. I'm like, well, it's my truth. Yeah, there because you go. now I don't, if something's not bringing me, okay, I'm going to go a little Marie Kondo. It doesn't bring you joy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not bringing me satisfaction, I'm going to step, I'm going to find a way out of it to go find the thing that does bring me satisfaction. So if yeah. I exit really quickly on this interview, it's because you're not making me happy, man. <laughs> just say. No, that's good. I'll try and keep you here. No, I think that's exactly right. I meant, you know, so I have this simple model called the play model. And um, so you know, play stands for pleasing, living, agonizing, and yielding. And um, agonizing is kind of the worst quadrant, right? It's things mm-hmm. that take a lot of energy and and don't provide us much satisfaction. And certainly we can't organize our lives so those things never happen, right? They're just right. obligations. There's going to be pain in our lives. We're going to lose loved ones. Um, there are going to be things in any job that you don't necessarily like, or maybe you like your job, but, um, you know, we're living in the world of COVID. You have to get through stuff that, um, you enjoy, but you, you know, you're sick, right? So whatever it is, it's not like we can get to a state where everything is nirvana, but we do have the ability to make choices about how we spend our time over time. Right. And I think that's what a, a lot of folks, especially in, you know, 
in, in this kind of sandwich generation that we talk about, right? There's this, um, uh, we call it the U-shaped curve of, of happiness because between 30 and 50, that's some of the most unhappy times because we have these duties for our children and for our aging parents um, that oftentimes kind of feel like work. But in those instances, you can figure out how to spend that time in a way that's in collaboration, sort of this we mindset instead of a me mindset, like, whoa, it's me. I have to do this. Um, and instead figure out like, okay, well, you have to do the thing, right? But how can you do the thing so that it does excite you a little bit? You know, in your example, it was work, right? Like, yeah, so this work is paying the bills, but it's, you know, it might, I feel like my days are dying in front of me. Right. Like, what can I do differently? And so absolutely. And then the nice thing it sounds like for you, and I found this in my own work with, you know, working with others, is that it's almost always an upward spiral, right? Like once you got, it took a long time because I know your story, right? But once you got a big win, then you could start to replicate that win all across your life and things just got better, right? I mean, yep. not immediately, but over time. Well, no, the truth is, is once I said I'm gay, then I got the gay magic wand and we just make everything like beautiful, right? <clears throat> Contrary to what some people think. It's like, no, there is no magic to this, folks, but there is. There is an interesting piece of the magic because back to kind of where I found myself, one of the things that people said to me the most, you never smile. You never smile. Every once in a while. Now, <laughs> Now I'm in a different place in my life. So when somebody says that, like, that's so a you big, smile all the time. yeah, there's a big button push. When somebody says that to me, I'm like, fuck you. No, I, I smile all the time because I got tired of people saying that, but it actually emanates from a place of, yes, I do smile now because guess what? I'm happy. I was not happy. I was covering my ass six way to Sundays back in the day because I wasn't happy. Oh, wow. You're making great money. You must be really happy. Yeah. I fucking hate my job. You know, I love that. I got to travel because guess what? That gave me the outlet to like, kind of go live that other side of my life. Who's going to know I'm gay in Tokyo when I live in California. Right. It's like, okay, fine. But it was all like, I couldn't smile. I love my kids. Okay. When I saw my kids, of course I smiled, but even that was kind of like, oh, I just, I don't, I'm not enjoying this, right? We'd end up at the neighborhood, <clears throat> you know, as all parents do, the neighborhood birthday parties, right? Oh, wow, all our kids play together. Great, another freaking kid's birthday party. <clears throat> I had to be very careful because I had to put on this whole armor of being the heterosexual dad. Hey, I don't want to fist bump you. I might want to bump something else on you because you're a really handsome guy, but you know, it was really hard for me to play those roles, you know? And then I realized in that space, that's exactly what was happening in work too. And it wasn't just there. It was happening in so many different places. And the first time I saw this suddenly start to <laughs> spiral upwards was the day I said, hey, the spin instructor didn't show up to teach our class and all my classmates, it's five in the morning. Okay. So it's five in the morning. Nothing like getting up at five in the morning. The spin instructor doesn't show up, right? You're like, why did I drag my ass out of bed for this? Yeah. But everybody's like, Rick, you could lead the class just leader. I'm like, I can't. No, I don't have music or anything. And they're like, come on. We, we all showed up here. And so I went to the front desk at the gym and I said, there's no instructor. I have some music in my car. I'd be glad to at least put people through some kind of a workout. Of course, you know, I've got the, you know, the hungover college kid working the front desk. They're like, I really don't care, man, whatever you want to do. Right. 
I got on that bike and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm wow. And of course, then two hours later, I'm getting a call from the fitness director at the club going, um, did you teach a spin class this morning, man? I'm like, yeah, well, we heard you're really good. We'd love to have you come talk to us about getting certified and everything. That's awesome. The first, that was one of the very first times I remember like super, super smiling after coming out of the closet because I'm like, wait, I'm doing something fun, something I really loved. Okay. Uh, true confessions. I'm a Leo. So I have to be in the spotlight for God's sake. And so I'm like, I get to be in the spotlight. I get to do this. And that's literally how I started teaching spin for the lot next 15 years. Not only that, you provided a need, right? It wasn't even right. self-serving. I right. Mean, it, it was a need and was something that actually was self-serving. Cause I'm like, I got in really, I was, I was a hot daddy back then. <laughs> I was nice and slim and trim and, you know, I had a booty at that point. So, you know, Hey, I was, but it was so interesting to see how much fun that brought into my world. And here's the interesting thing, Mike, it balanced out the fun I was trying to seek out of my job because suddenly I'm like, Oh, I get to go be Mr. Corporate guy. But then five, seven, sometimes 10 class times a week, I got to be crazy spin instructor that was silly and stupid, but driving people. And I actually know that that career in spin contributed so much to how I am as a coach now, because I joke around with people. I'm like, you've, you've experienced, I'm like, okay, but Mike, you can't do that, but you're cute, but I'm not going to let you off the hook, man. You got to go get this done. Right. And I think this is where people miss it. Like, Fun doesn't have to be like, oh my God, let's go find it, find it, find it. Where's the roller coaster? But when you step into fun because it showed up and you're like, yeah, let's go do it. That's a huge, big difference right there. Yeah, absolutely. And we often talk about time affluence, right? I think you mm -hmm. were using time in a way that you wanted, right? Oftentimes right. when we're burdened by all these things that we feel like we have to do, but we don't want to do, um, yeah, we lose that affluence of time. And Unfortunately, you, you know, you, you can pretty much do anything to make more money, right? Not necessarily get rich, but there's all sorts of side hustles out there. And um, that comes with its own toxic culture, but we really can't make more time. You know, there's no time management magic out there where we can increase the 168 hours in our week. And so if you're not spending them in a manner that lights you up, um, that's sort of where you need to start. And so it sounds like you got a taste of that, right? Like this, I did. Yeah. And some people looked at that and like, you're crazy, man. I mean, I was a crazy man at that point because, I mean, at one point I was commuting like 60 to 90 minutes to work. I would get up, <laughs> sounds crazy. I would be up at like four o'clock in the morning, putting on the spin gear, go teach a spin class, quick shower, hop in the car, drive 90 minutes, get off work, drive 90 minutes, hop on a spin bike, teach again. People are like, you're insane. I'm like, no, I'm happy. I'm happy and I'm having fun. Yeah. Yes, it did become a drudgery at one point because I didn't enjoy. I mean, I loved it when I taught for Crunch Fitness when Crunch was like one of the premier, you know, gyms. Yeah. <clears throat> not that it's not now, but it's not like what we see today. I mean, it was the, it was the club that had like the boxing ring, and we had seventy spin bikes in this amphitheater and disco lights. And all. I mean, that, that was a fun place to work. But to that point of time affluence. If we're not using our time in the way, again, Marie Kondo in this thing that brings you joy, then what's the freaking purpose? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that you and I have both seen back to our kind of WDS experiences. <clears throat> it truly always gave me, when I walk away from WDS, it was almost like a, it was like that, like shot, you know, 
that like, okay, boo, I, Hey, yeah, this is, I, I have something. And I, I know for a fact that a few years ago, WDS was a piece of my like, Hey, why is this podcast now called life uncloseted? Because I had that jolt from doing a meetup there that said, you know what, this is more, more than just about being LGBTQ. There's a whole other conversation that needs to be happening. Yeah. So for think, you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say for you, what was the jolt that's like this play thing? And I want to kind of go back at some point too to the play acronym, but like where you realize play and fun has got to be kind of at the core of your positive psychology approach to doing things. What was that spark? Yeah, I think, you know, seeing that so many people are in like desperate need of just the simple nudge, right? I think that's where, you know, our messages are so aligned that there's that initial friction that you need to overcome. And it seems so um, unsurmountable, but once you get past it, then it's just like, wait, this was so easy. Why didn't I do it? And I, I, that part I find really fun, right? Cause there's so many avenues, you know, where it is just a lot of work, right? Fitness is certainly one of them, right? I mean, and for um, being able to invite joy and delight into your life, it's really just understanding that, you know, a few simple tools like reframing sort of your approach to certain activities and then recapturing a little bit of your time. You know, we're talking about 10 to 14 hours out of 168 hours in a week, right? And so when someone's like, holy crap, I'm, you know, I can't even find 10 hours out of the week that I'm not enjoying myself. Like that, I, you know, whether you want to call that self-care or whatever it is, like, that just illuminating people like, yeah, you're not even taking that off the table, right? You're right. not even, you're not even taking 10% back for yourself is usually a good first step of like, you know what? I enjoy dancing. I haven't danced for like three years. I'm going to take a dancing class. And, mm. and it, it's just testing those boundaries, right? Like oh, I thought my husband would be, you know, or my partner rather would be, um, you know, kind of, uh, feel guilty or whatever that, you know, I'm taking time off and only to find out that their partner was happy to get a break. Cause finally they right. could watch the show they wanted to watch. Right. Like, and exactly. so like testing these simple assumptions, you know, we call them heuristics, you know, because as we get older, we have all this incoming information slamming us all the time. Right. So it's not our fault. We have to come up with, um, you know, these habits that we have, because if we didn't, you know, it would be information overload and we, we'd fall over, right? But those often get in our way too, because then, you know, by the time we come 40 or 50, we don't test any assumptions. We're just like, well, that's how it is. So that's the way I'm going to live. Right. And um, it's just taking a little bit back for yourself is what can make all the difference, right? Whether that's a big thing like coming out or is it simple as, you know what, it's been four weeks before I can say I've even had you know, fun for one hour, something that I wanted to do for myself and just reclaiming that time back, you know? Well, and it is, it is a, a, a piece of reclaiming, whether it's reclaiming the time or <clears throat> I, I think, again, I keep bringing this back a little bit to WDS, but one of the things that I feel like WDS did for me is it helped me reclaim some of my childhood, like having stupid fun, doing things. I'm like, you know, really, I can't believe I'm doing this. Uh, and I really saw this come full circle for me just a few weeks ago when we went on vacation to Costa Rica and we signed up for these excursions. And then <clears throat> as it got closer, because again, I'm a big boy, I'm six foot four, 300 pounds. And I'm like, 
I don't know if those zip lines really, <laughs> I don't know if they're really going to like accommodate me. Right. And this one tour was like zip lining. And then there was like this 1400 foot water slide down a mountain. I'm like, Oh, I want to do the water slide. Yeah. Well, of course, to go to the zip line, we're walking past this water slide. And I'm like, oh, that thing kind of moves kind of fast. <laughs> and then when people would be coming down as we're walking past, and it's this little tiny trough, right? I'm like, I'm a big boy. I'm not sure I'm actually going to fit in that, but you know, whatever. But then as they're coming past, the water splashing up. And then one splash hit me really big. I'm like, oh my God, that water's cold, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, we'll worry about that once we make sure I live through the zip line, right? I thought, you signed up for this, man. Here's your adventure. And if this adventure is the, you know, you're done, then you, you did what you meant to do. Right. I am so glad I just went with it. Now, of course the first zip line, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not going to make it. It's not going to happen. Right. Especially after we got up there and they're like, so, you know, this is the first to seven. I'm like, wait, <laughs> I thought there was just a couple here. You know, I was counting on two. Oh no. Then the only way down is down. I'm like, great, great. Seven of these bad boys. Right. I had, okay, if you looked at the videos, yeah, I looked completely petrified. But by the third one, I'm like, I wish I had my cape or something like, I want a rainbow, you know, cape behind me flying across these trees, right? I'm so glad I did it. And even though the little water slide was rough, it really was rough. I said, okay, I'll never do that again because it was rough. But I'm glad I did it because it awakened something in me like, just keep having fun. Just keep having fun. And that vacation was such a, it was such a space of I needed to have some fun. I mean, it was the first time in multiple years that we were actually with an all gay men's group, which was a psychology study <laughs> in no, but, itself. But let's sit on that because there was, there's something I don't want to lose that sure. reminded if we went on. And that is that one of the beautiful things about WDS that I think is so great is that it it creates this huge tent, right? I'm an extrovert. Uh And one of the beautiful things there is, and it might be because of Chris Guillebeau's personality, is the invitation to so many introverts to find their tribe, right? You know, because of the the interesting way that they, for folks that don't know about the World Domination Summit, um, it's part conference with some great speakers, but it's also um, driven by attendee uh, meetups. And so people that... Um, create events to kind of tribe up uh, based on different affinities and and, um, interests. And so you find all of these folks that probably back in their, you know, in their regular world, aren't able to express themselves, but are able to go there and in a very safe space, be whoever they want to be, you know, kind of a uh, an interesting take, you know, Burning Man is that to an extreme, but it's so over the top. Some people, you know, feel intimidated even in that right. environment. And I, you know, again, I like the, you know, the term big tent uh, Chris has just created this space where um, people can find their fun and be themselves without judgment. And I think mm-hmm. that's what was so beautiful about that event. You know, it's a shame that um, it's come to an end this year. But one of the reasons that has being what it is, is because Chris is very much an introvert too. Correct. You know, and sometimes some of the most amazing stuff comes from the person who puts it together. They're living out loud through it. uh, Jonathan Fields, same way, Good Life Project. Love Jonathan to death. He's very much an introvert, but he's amazing when when you put him on a stage, he can go. 
But as soon as he's done and I've been there, I've been very intimate, not in a, not in a weird way, guys. I've been in very intimate spaces with Jonathan. I've actually watched this unravel. Like, like he's great. And then the moment it's like, okay, I'm done. Like, and I know this can be really hard for my listeners to know, but I'm actually the same way. It's like, I am much more of an introvert, even though I'm not to that degree, but I'm much more of an introvert in many situations than an extrovert. If I have to walk in, which this is, here's where the, here's where, yeah, no, but a lot of people don't, but like just walking in on that vacation a few weeks ago, first time around a larger, you know, there were 250, 300, just pretty much all gay men. There were a few lesbians there. I, I kind of go into a shell because what is my, what is my still little pebble in my system? Gay men are hot. They're Adonises. They're built. They're all this sort of stuff. I'm not going to fit in. I don't fit in because I wasn't a guy who was out from the time he said he was out. You know, I know I've worked through so much of it, but that little boy sometimes shows up like, Oh, wow, here we go. It's, you know, four hours into it. I'm like, okay, yeah, here we go. We're on the ride, right? Let's go <laughs> on the water slide. As <laughs> yeah, I'm on the water slider. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not walking around in a speedo like the rest of y'all, but you know, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm being, I'm trash talking and everything else is like everybody else. But, um, it is interesting to see how those things hold us back. But yet, as soon as you can identify it, when I finally identified why I wasn't feeling like I could be, okay, I was out, but why I felt like I couldn't fit into the gay community, it was for everything I just said. I'm not built like most of those guys and I never will be. I am always going to be, not, not that I can't lose, it's not the weight thing. I'm a big guy. So my only option would be if I'm a big guy, then I'm going to have to really capitalize on that. And I'm never going to lift the weights. I'm not going to be a muscle daddy. No, no, how, no way. No, I have no interest in that. I wish I could look like that without doing all that work. But it's interesting when you start to understand those pieces, because that's when you start to let loose and start having joy, fun and all that in your own life, because you can see yourself in that new light. And I think that's the thing that you're kind of striving towards. Like if fun becomes a habit, then you're actually not working towards it. It's not like, let's go on this quest. It's just a part of how you show up in life. Yeah, it plays into the cliche, right? About the journey and not the destination. That's yep. one. But another thing to unpack um, is that, you know, what you just described was, again, that introspection, right? And that mm -hmm. just gets us in the way more and more. Um, and so often, and this, you know, has been proved empirically throughout all sorts of geeky psychological research, but we're in our head and thinking that all of these folks are talking about us. And for the most part, nine out of 10 people are so self-absorbed that they don't care about you. And yeah, so I, you I really don't care about you, Mike. I don't really care what you're saying <laughs> right now, man. So no, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, no, I get it, you know, in a kindness type of way, I meant in the sense that they're sizing you up. Right. Yep. And so, yep. um, that it's just fundamentally not true. And so you're either sizing yourself up or you're worried about how other people are sizing mm -hmm. you up and, and that's what will, will, you know, get in your way. And so, when you are taking action, right? You know, what I call the fun habit, it's almost mm -hmm. impossible because you're so engaged in that activity, right? That, right. you know, whether that's, you know, whatever it is for you, whether it's just, you know, enjoying somebody's friendship or actually doing the activity that lights you up or, you know, doing deep work that lights you up, um, whatever it is, if you're doing it, it's really hard to think about discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's ultimately what leads to us being unhappy, right? It's why, 
psychological techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy, when you can, you know, realign your personal scripts are so effective because it's that negative self-talk, you know, that what you just described, that's so damaging. And it took us a while to get there, you know, with regards to psychological discipline, but we now know that's, that's the primary driver. You know, obviously there's a biological component, but you know, when we over, emphasize that negative self-talk it just starts to have you know both mental and physiological impacts and uh, when you can turn it around either through doing a lot of therapy or just taking charge of your own life you know we see that there can be a positive outcome absolutely one a good example of this is something i've learned about myself as a speaker i sweat like a pig i sweat i sweat i sweat and What I learned is the reason I sweat so much on stage sometimes is because I'm way too concerned of what is everybody going to think? Am I going to fuck up? Am I going to say the right thing? The day that I spoke at WDS, I was jazzed. I was, I was so excited. You controlled that stage. What most people don't know is I completely fucked up that talk. Really? There's a whole section of that talk that I forgot to do. And our, our mutual friend, Marsha, 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 who was my speaking coach, she's on the front row. I had told my husband and kids, like, you need to be right on the second row because I, there's something's going to happen in the talk. And I walk off stage and literally I get off stage and I'm getting my microphone taken out. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I forgot. And I'm looking out because I could see out into the audience. I could see my husband and kids and they're all kind of like looking at each other like, why did he force us to be here on the second row? Right. If I had been worried about that on stage and here's the interesting thing, and not that you can take a microscope, but I can, because I can take a microscope and look at that whole video. And I have pictures of me on that stage. I was not sweating one bit because I was just so like, here we go. I'm, Hey, I'm finally doing this one dream that it's, it's been one of my biggest speaking dreams to be on this stage and everything. And I was so good with it. As soon as I realized I screwed up, what people don't know backstage is I started sweating like a pig. I screwed up. I so screwed up. Oh my God. I, you know, so of course, yes, I get out in the audience and everyone's like, oh, that's really great. And I see my, of course, my family's like, so why did we have to sit on the second row? I'm like, oh my God, I forgot because it was a whole dedication to them. There's a whole piece where I talked about what I thought I was going to lose and all this sort of stuff. So there was a piece I was going to acknowledge George and acknowledge the kids, but I've now learned that piece about myself that what I, if I'm sweat, it's because I'm trying to make it happen versus when I go out on stage and I'm just like, let's have fun. Let's go do this, man. You know, there's okay. There's a little bit of sweat. I also have some secrets that I have secret t-shirts. Now I wear that like are a sponge and they just absorb most of it, but I'm a baldy. So if I'm sweating really bad, you're going to see it. Right. Well, I also know that I keep handkerchiefs in my hip pockets. And if I'm like starting to sweat like a pig, I will find a way to work that into the talk and whip out a handkerchief and go, sometimes you just got to wipe the mess away. And there it goes, of course, all the makeup goes off about that point too. But it's such an interesting thing when you start to accept like, okay, here's a something that could cause me to really like pine over this thing versus just having fun and being in the moment. And it's yeah. a big thing that I, I, I haven't shared that story a whole lot. But- I love it. I think, you know, again, because we're both so fond of it, I, there's just, I'm not a metaphysical guy. I'm a Sam Harris guy. I, you know, I just 
believe that the world is wonderful chaos and don't buy into things happening for a reason. Um, but there seems to be a lot of serendipity at WDS. Um, uh-huh. you know, our mutual friend, Gary Ware opened the conference this year and, uh, we had a chance uh, to have dinner there. And he had mentioned that the leading up to giving the talk, it was a complete disaster because he had a video intro. He did a whole Darth Vader, um, number and like, with that involved Chris as well. And none of it was like timing, right? So it just kept like being this beautiful disaster that that hadn't worked until the second they got up on stage and then just somehow magically everything just popped off. And uh, yeah, and, and then I mean, that place is just beautiful. Like you said, you knew it was your people. That's probably why, you know, you were in your element, not giving a speech. You were telling your story to a bunch of your friends, right? And it was actually a very pivotal moment in my speaking career too. Because I am like, okay, I, okay. And this isn't, it's going to sound like it's coming from ego, but that was the, that was the moment I realized I'm really good at this. I am really good at this. Now I need to own that piece without letting the ego piece come forward. Like that can really ruin that too. But going, I can actually do this at the drop of a heart, you know, like literally drop a hat, put me on a stage. Okay, let's go. Let's figure out how we do it. But I also realized that's a, a an amazing gift I have been given. Now let's use it for good. Let's like I wouldn't always... even say that from ego. I would say, you know, again, it's through my lens of fun, but that you got to a level of mastery that finally makes doing that thing really pleasurable. And so you want to do more of it, right? Yeah, like if you were exactly. ego driven, you'd be like, you know what? And I crushed it and I was the best speaker there. And right. like that didn't come out of your mouth, right? It was right. like I do this. This is fun. People really enjoy it. It's a mutual exchange of value. Um, and I want to keep doing this because I crushed it that day. Right. But that's where I think that's where we miss the piece of fun too. When we have fun, we're crushing it. We're yep. literally crushing it. You know, I, um, one of the other people in the speaking program, we were talking about his, like where he wants to go and how he wants to approach things. He goes, well, I could get lopped into the, you know, the work-life balance thing. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, but what I really want to do is I want to get people to really understand work-life balance. I'm like, well, you just said the same thing. He goes, no, no. He goes, what if you're doing your work life, then things are in balance. I'm like, wait, you're still saying, he goes, you're not hearing me. I'm like, okay. He goes, I'm saying this. He goes, you kept, because my brain kept hearing work-life balance, right? He goes, no, I'm saying if you're doing your life work, you're in balance. And it was after the third time, like, oh, wait, you said life-work balance, not work-life balance. And it was such a beautiful thing to see that light bulb go off. Again, I'm old. It takes me a few rounds to get shit in my head. But um, it's really amazing when you see that stuff. So before we wrap up here, because I want to go back to this, because you kind of said it, you said it really fast, but I want people to really <clears throat> get the play acronym because the agonizing stuck out because we all get an agonizing. So what the P stands for is pleasing. So that would be just optimizing normal activity, right? And so right. that we don't lose the main concept, like for folks that have listened to us, you know, for the entire program, thank you, first of all. But um, what we've talked a lot about here is this inherent guilt, right? That stops us from doing things that are enjoyable. So pleasing activities are things that are easy to do that you should be doing that we know when they're indexed throughout uh, your week um, lead to betterment and just better mental health. Um, 
you know, so things as simple as enjoying time with friends, doing activities that you like, um, but that don't necessarily wear you out. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the pleasing quadrant. The yeah. living quadrant are things like you mentioned, like, you know, the zip lining where it was super fun, but when you look back at it, it's not something that you would do Monday through Friday, right? Because it was right. a little bit depleting. Um, or writing your your big book that I know is coming up and um, I want to tell everyone to buy because I know <laughs> it's going to be amazing. But those things like wear us out, right? So we can't do it, you know, or, or we'd have 20 books written, right? right. I mean, it takes uh, mental energy, but it's so satisfying when we get that down, right? For athletes, it's, you know, putting time down on the turf where they really enjoy practice, but it's not you know, if they don't uh, have time for recovery. So that's kind of the living quadrant edge work. Um, but yielding is kind of the low-hanging fruit that so many of us don't realize um, is really eating us alive. I call it contributing to the nothing. And that's things like watching entertainment that doesn't light us up. So people that habitually watch shows that were, if they think about it, you know, the next week, they couldn't tell you what was in the episode. So I'm not villainizing, you know, shows right. that... Um, people enjoy, but, you know, kind of mindlessly spending your time. And then obviously um, folks that are kind of over consuming social content because it's something easy to do. Um, and then like relationships uh, out of convenience. So friends that you let hang out, but, you know, every time you, you spend time with them, you feel depleted afterwards. All those would be in the, the yielding category. And then agonizing, you know, are things that generally, we try to see if there's any way to manipulate it, like things that you truly hate doing. So if you hate a job, like how do we get you out of that job? And then um, are there ways to uh, reduce that time? So things that you have to do, like let's say taxes, um, you know, are there ways that you can mitigate that experience so that you're shorting the duration? So they have to get done, but we're reducing the amount right. that you're living in that agonizing quadrant. So love it, love it, love it. And I love that each piece of that can be applied to, so many things in life, every yeah. bit of it, you know, it's and, really just yeah. a sorting mechanism, right? You mm -hmm. know, again, what I advocate is like, look at your week again, 168 hours. Isn't that hard to sort. And if everything is in the yielding and agonizing quadrant, then you got some work to do, right? That there's, there's something there to get fixed. And generally if you start small, like we've mentioned throughout this podcast, you can get an upward spiral. You get one right. win and you're like, Oh, that was easy. Let me try something a little bit harder until you hit equilibrium. Cause it's not again about being happy or enjoying your whole 168 hours. Cause we know, right. you know, but luckily for most of us, we've got room to improve. Yeah. yeah. Well, not me. I'm perfect. So, you know, I, I've already gotten there, but, um, but I, I agree a hundred percent, man. I love this conversation because it, it is about when you bring play into your world, you also uncloset yourself into a whole nother level of life, joy, enjoyment, and, and true pleasure. I mean, if it's not, again, if it's not pleasurable, I don't know why we're doing it, you know, not advocating if it's not pleasurable, just call it quits. No, that's not what I'm saying, but find ways that it really is, you know, the fun and pleasure in your life is giving you life bottom line. So, okay. Well, now that we've solved all these problems, what should we do next, Mike? So I guess that's uh, well, I appreciate my books available for pre-order. So anyone awesome. that wants to support that, I'd appreciate it. It's called the fun habit. And, uh, yeah, I'll be out in January 3rd. And anybody that is interested in the science of fun, either, you know, behavioral science geek or uh, psychologist, or just wants to have a little bit more joy and delight in their life. Um, I write about it all on my website, michaelrucker.com. 
Awesome. And if anybody would like Mike's book and they want to pre-order, send me your email and I will make it happen and I will pay for it on my dime because I love promoting my fellow authors. So oh my um, goodness. <laughs> send me a quick email. Most of you listen and you guys, come on, people. <laughs> I know all of you want books, but some of you have already got a book. So give somebody else some room, send an email to rick at rickclemens.com. Say, I want Mike's book when it comes out and we will get you on that list to make it happen. So um. All right. I guess we're done, man. I guess Thank this is you. where we say goodbye, except I know you'll be back haunting me on the other side of life where I'm helping you build your speaking business. But uh, <clears throat> love this conversation, man. So appreciate you. Love you as a brother in arms going out there to make the world a better place. And um, Likewise. go have a, a great rest of your week, everyone, and come back in just another week. And we will have another life uncloseted story or tips for helping you go have fun and live your life. No excuses, no fears, no apologies. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.